The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. John chapter number 15, starting at verse number 1, the Bible says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Verse number five, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. This morning, pastors are going to bring a message simply entitled, I am the vine. As was stated a moment ago, we're currently in a series entitled, I am Jesus. And I've been joking, for those of you who are visiting, I'm not saying that I am Jesus, all right? That's just the name of the series as we go through verse by verse in the Gospel of John, looking really at all the places where Jesus declared, I am and then used a metaphor to help us as finite beings understand who this infinite Christ really was for those of us who are in him and, and he is in us. And so we've been looking at different uh, visual metaphors that he's used. We saw where Jesus says, I am the bread. And that was earlier in the Gospel of John. Then we saw where Jesus said, I am the light. Uh, then we looked a little later where he said, I am the door, and then I am the shepherd. And, and we've been studying how the I am's of the Gospel of John, how they reveal who we are. You say, well, how does that work? Well, because he is the bread, we are and we can be satisfied. Because he is the light, we can be enlightened. We can have wisdom. Uh, because he is the door, we have access to the Father. Because he is the shepherd, we can trust that we are being led and we are being directed in the proper paths. So the I am's of the Gospel of John reveals really who we are now that we are in Christ. And so we're in John chapter number 5. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. Um, I've got some baskets of fruit up here and we'll use those as an illustration in a moment. Uh, each summer I have the opportunity of going back and uh, we take some time with my wife's family who happen to live in a farm, on a farm in central Indiana. And on one particular occasion, my father-in-law asked me if I wanted to drive the big tractor. And he has one of these huge John Deere tractors as he uh, kind of uh, takes the time to plant and harvest several hundreds of acres of land out there in east Indiana. And so one on one occasion, he, he invited me to drive this tractor. Now, those of you who know me well, uh, you realize when it comes to mechanical type stuff or when it comes to, you know, agricultural type things, that is definitely uh, not in my skill set by any stretch of the imagination. But we were going to harvest ourselves some corn, and so he let me take the tractor, and uh, we're driving on this thing. And, and if you've seen these before, literally some of the newer ones, they can literally harvest 12 rows of corn all at the same time. And so you drive this huge tractor, and then they've got this apparatus that somehow hooks to the front of the tractor, and you just harvest all this corn at once. 
Uh, needless to say, I, I wasn't doing it very well. I'm steering right, steering left. My father-in-law is like, you know, no, turn it left, turn it right. You know, I'm, I'm kind of sorry. It's, it's actually a lot harder than it actually looks. You know, when we were all done, you know, those uh, alien crop circles that you see, it's about what it ended up looking like by the time we got all said and done. And uh, you see for my father-in-law, it really is all about the harvest. And so he plants and he prepares and he, he toils and it, it's all about reaping a harvest. And here in this passage, I, I find something really interesting. It, it speaks of fruitfulness in this particular passage. It says here in verse number two, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purges that, that may, may bring forth more fruit. And so the whole theme of this uh, few verses is really about fruitfulness. And, and so as we begin as way of introduction, I want to talk a little bit about this fruitfulness in our lives. Uh, what what uh, all of us, I believe, if we were to be honest, want to experience fruitfulness in our lives. You say, what, what, what are we talking about? You're, you're using another metaphor. What, what is fruitfulness even referring to? Well, the Bible's pretty clear. It tells us what the fruit of of the Spirit is. And, and most of you would know what the fruit of the Spirit is. We could talk about things like the fruit of the Spirit is love. And, and we understand that love is not something we conjure up in our flesh. It's not something we willpower. It's something that flows from the Spirit of God into us and then through us toward others. That love, it's a fruit of the Spirit. We see where the Bible talks about joy. And joy is a beautiful fruit of the Spirit. Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, a confidence to move into the future. That, that this faithfulness, we could go on and look at other passages that talk about courage, that talk about boldness in our witnessing. And, and there's all these elements of fruitfulness in the life of a believer. So let me ask you this question. Do you need more fruit in your life? Think about that for a moment. Uh, maybe I should say it this way. Have you found yourself in the last few weeks maybe getting irritated and frustrated with somebody? Then it may mean that you need some fruit of the Spirit, some of that love. H have you found in your life, maybe you're sitting here and you're just, you're miserable in your life circumstance. You're miserable at work. You're miserable in your marriage. You're just miserable with the life circumstances around you. It might, need, it might be that you need to experience the, the, the joy that's found in the Spirit. Maybe you're here and you're just stressed out with life. <laughs> stressed out with children and stressed out with your career and stressed out with the demands of life. And, and maybe for you, you need to experience the peace that is the fruit of the Spirit. Have you, uh, in the last month, maybe gotten impatient with somebody that you say you love? A spouse? A child? A parent? Have you found yourself growing impatient with them? Uh, maybe it is that you need to experience the fruit of the Spirit, this, what the Bible calls long-suffering. It's not something you conjure up. It's not something you make yourself do. <laughs> It is something that flows into you by the Spirit of God so that it can flow through you toward others. Have you found yourself worried or anxious about the future? Maybe you're here right now and, and your work situation is not going so well. 
Maybe you're here and you're, you're even wondering if you're going to have a job next month. Maybe the plans that you had and you were wondering, you had it all figured out, but now it's not quite going the way you thought it would kind of come together. And, and now you find yourself getting a little worried about the future and you find your heart getting a little anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow and what's going to happen next week. How are we going to pay those bills? And maybe you're anxious about your health or maybe you're anxious about a child or a grandchild and you find yourself growing worried and you find yourself growing anxious. Can I just say this? Maybe you need to experience what the Bible calls this faith, a confidence in the providence and sovereignty of God. See, the reality is this, when we really put the, you know, get to the bottom shelf, put the cookies on the bottom shelf, so to say, the reality is all of us, we need, the, we need to experience this fruit in our lives. It's interesting to me that a lot of people who come to church quite often, they get really kind of quick to say, oh, I already know this about the Bible, and I already know that about the gospel, and I already know those things. Pastor, go and teach us something more. Teach us something else. Teach us something bigger. Teach us something greater. And then those same people don't demonstrate peace and joy and faith. And a spirit of long-suffering. See, here's the reality. Our brain tricks us into thinking we know something academically. We know something intellectually. We know something cognitively. But the reality is, the, the, the proof is in the fruit. If you're living your life and there is no joy, I don't care how much you understand academically. You don't get it. And you might be able to stand up and you might be able to, man, pastor, I can preach this message. I can preach that message. I can preach all those messages. The reality is you might understand it academically. You might get it cognitively. But if there is no peace, if there is no joy, if there's no confidence when things get hard, if there's no peace when people are being difficult, I hate to say it and I'm not trying to be harsh, but you don't get it. You get it here, but you don't really get it. Because fruit of joy when things are going horrible. Peace when your world is falling apart. Long-suffering when everybody around you is annoying you to death and, and being critical of you and, and they're frustrated with you and yet you can, you can be long-suffering. That is when you know you're getting it. When there is a fruit to your understanding when there is peace and love and joy and gentleness and faith and courage that literally becomes that which kind of adorns what you do. Fruitfulness. Now, I want you to see this. I, I, when I was reading through this, I noticed a couple of things. I want you to notice here in this passage, what I see is four levels of fruitfulness here in this passage. Notice what it says here. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit. You see that? The first level, no, no fruit. But he goes on to say, every branch in me that beareth fruit. So you see the second level. Is, there's, 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 Jesus here is saying there's, there's some whose lives have no fruit. The end of verse number two, uh, there's others here in the middle of verse two. They, they have some fruit. Notice the end of verse three. That ye may bring forth what? More fruit. More fruit. Verse 5. He goes on to say, You are the branch of he that abideth in me, and the same bringeth forth. Here's what the Bible says. Much fruit. 
You see these four levels of fruitfulness that's being described here in this passage. No fruit, fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. Now, we can get a little confused about this because if, you, if you've kind of been kind of church world a little bit, here's kind of the understanding that we could have. Well, I know that I don't have a lot of joy, but I, I do have a little bit of joy. I, you know, I'm not like one of those persons who has no peace. I have a, I have a little bit of peace. I have a little bit of gentleness. I have, a, I have a little bit, you know, of long-sufferingness. And, and that might be one way to look at these levels or proportions of fruitfulness. But really, as you study this holistically, this, these levels of fruitfulness are not as much talking about the quantity of your fruit. Because the Bible says very clearly, it is not the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. It is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. So with that in mind, we must understand that really when it's talking about these levels of fruitfulness, it's not saying, oh, there's some people with no joy, and there's some with a little bit of joy, and there's some with more joy, and there's some with lots of joy. It's not as much saying as some with no peace, and some with a little peace, and some with more peace, and a lot of peace. Really, rather than looking at this thing from a perspective of quantity of joy, and quantity of peace, and and quantity of these things, (coughs) excuse me. Thank you. Rather than looking at it from a perspective of quantity, I would encourage you to look at the levels of fruitfulness from a perspective of consistency. So let's, let's kind of zone in. What do you mean? There are people, and they just never have joy. And then there are people who have joy sometimes, but most of the time they don't. And then there are people who have joy lots of time, but not all the time. There are people who have no peace, and then there are people who kind of have peace when when life's going pretty good. And there are other people, and they, they, most of the time, they have peace. And others, and no matter what's going on in their life, their life just abounds with peace. So rather than looking at this thing uh, quantitatively, rather than looking at it from a quantity perspective, when it talks about no fruit and fruit, more fruit and much fruit, let's look at it from a perspective of consistency. So here's the question I want you to ask yourself. How consistently do you have joy? Like basically are you an individual and you're, you can have joy when things are going your way? And, and you can have joy when circumstances are good? And you can have joy when, when everything that you thought would happen actually takes place. Or, or are you one of these? And, and for the most part, even when things don't quite go your way, you could still have joy. Or are you one of these, even in the worst of times, the fruit of the Spirit, God's Spirit, just you abound with joy in your life, in the good times and in the bad times. We're not talking about necessarily here the quantity of our joy or the quantity of our peace. We're literally here talking about the consistency of it in the good times, in the bad times, in the times where everything's going our way and in the times where things are not going our way. So let's dive into it. We're going to take a moment and we're going to talk because this passage is very clear as it kind of dives in. How do we go from no fruit to fruit? How do we go from fruit to more fruit? And how do we go from more fruit to much fruit? And I want you to see this here in our passage today. Notice what it says in verse number two. We're just going to march through these verses. 
The Bible says, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, all right? So you're in, these, the, it says every branch in me, those are, who are in Christ, those who are believers, those who are saved, every branch in me that beareth not fruit. Here's what the Bible says. He, and the Greek word is aero. I think they'll throw this on the screen. I don't know if they've got it or not. It literally means to take up or to lift up. And so here we see here, well, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he uh, arrows, that is, he takes it up. They are in Christ. These are people who are saved. These are people who are believers. These are people who are in Jesus Christ. And he says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to arrow. I'm going to take them up. I'm going to lift them up. You say, well, I don't understand. That doesn't really make much sense to me. Well, it does if you think about it from the metaphor. What, what is Jesus Christ referring to? What type of, what type of agricultural perspective? What, what, what is he referring to? Vineyards? He's right here. As you go through, he talks about, I am the true vine. My, my father is the husbandman. Jesus says, I'm the vine. Now, think about it for a moment. We're here in Fresno. We're in Central California. How many is you're driving down the road? You see the raisin vineyards. You see the great vineyards. I mean, they're just everywhere, aren't they? So here's what he's saying. We... I've had the opportunity of talking here to some husbandmans, as the Bible says, some farmers, as maybe we would call them. And I'm told that oftentimes a vine with its branches, those vines will come to a place, if they're not taken care of, where those vines will literally fall down into the dirt. They'll fall down into the mud. They'll fall down into the dust, into the earth. And so the farmers come along, and what do farmers do with the branches, with the, with the branches that come off those vines? What do, they, what do they do with those branches? They pick them up, they lift them up, they take them up, and then they tie them to a, a trellis. And so Jesus, within the context of this metaphor, he's saying, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, they're, they're in me, they're saved. They're believers. Every branch in me that, that, that bear not fruit, he says, I'm going to take them up. I'm going to lift them up. Because what happens, oftentimes the reason our lives bear no fruit is because the branches of our lives have sucked down, have sunk down into the muck and the mire of the world. Our lives are down in the dirt. Our branch is not up. It's not have, it doesn't have an elevated position. It doesn't have an elevated perspective. Our branch is down here in the dirt. And so the Bible says, Jesus says, hey, when there's someone and they're not bearing fruit, there's no joy. There's no peace. It seems like, even, have you, it seems like not even in the good times, when everything's going right, they still don't really have joy. And every, when everything's kind of okay, they still really don't have peace. He's saying in those, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, as the, the father, God the father is the husbandman. He, he, notice this, he takes us up. He is going to lift up. He's going to arrow. You say, how, how, how do we see that? Notice the end of notice verse 3. He says, now are ye clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now you're clean. I'm going to lift you up out of the mud. I'm going to lift you up out of the earth. I'm going to lift you up out of the dirt. And now, 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 because you're not down there, you're going to be clean. You see, this kind of leads us to our first thought this morning, and that is this. If we're, if we're going to bear fruit, if we're going to go from no fruit to fruit, 
It's going to take a purifying process. A purifying process. Where the husbandman, the father comes along and our branch is down, he's going to lift it up. He's going to pick it up. He's going to tie it to the trellis. Why? So that we can bear fruit. You say, what's the application here? You, I see that God wants to come along and he wants to elevate aspects of our lives. You see, for many of us, because of the day and age in which we live, our branch, our lives are in the earth. They're in the world. They got the dust and the dirt and the mire. And so the Father, God, is going to come along and he's saying, here's what I'm going to do to those people. I'm going I'm to elevate that. I'm going I'm to take that branch up. I'm going to lift that branch up. I'm going to give you an elevated perspective. You see, what God's going to do is God's going to come along and he's going to elevate your beliefs. He's going to purify your beliefs. See, the reason some of us don't bear fruit is because we've got faulty thinking. And so the Father's going to come along and he's going to elevate, he's going to purify our thinking. Our belief system. He's going to arrow it. He's going to elevate it. He's going to help us to transcend earthly perspectives, earthly beliefs, and he's going to take us up. He's going to help us to, if we can use it this way, transcend the world. To have a heavenly perspective. To have a heavenly set of beliefs. A heavenly set, a way of thinking. He's, he's going to lift up and purify beliefs. He does this with our identity too. He's going to help elevate our identity. He's not going to, because see, in the world, the world is trying to get us to think we're something. We're this or we're that. And it could be good, it could be bad. But the world has its kind of thinking, its sense of identity that it wants to thrust upon you. And the Father comes along and says, no, I'm going I'm to elevate that perspective. I'm going to purify you. I'm going to elevate your identity. I'm going to help you see yourself as I see you. I'm going to help you see yourself as you truly are in Christ. And he comes and he elevates here our beliefs and in doing so purifies them. And he's going to come along and elevate our identity, who we believe ourselves to be. Why? That's what he does. He elevates, he purifies. He does this with our values. He'll come along and he says, I'm going to, I'm going to take your values up. Everything that makes you, you, he's going to try to elevate. He's going to try to take up. He's going to help you to transcend all the values and all the identities that the world is trying to crush upon you. And the father comes and he's going to kind of take it up. And in doing so, he purifies it. Purifying there your beliefs. Purifying your identity, how you see yourself. Purifying your values. We could say that purifying your motives. See, you get in the world and you have that lowered perspective, that earthly perspective, and you're going to find yourself motivated by things that don't motivate the heart of God. And so the Father's going to come along and in a sense to purify you. He's going to raise it up. He's going to give you not an earthly perspective, but a heavenly set of perspective, a heavenly belief, a heavenly set of values. Why? He's going to air arrow. He's going to take it up. He's going to lift it up and he's going to tie your life to that trellis. Why? He's going to help you to transcend a worldly set of values, to transcend a worldly set of beliefs, to transcend a worldly set of identities, to transcend a worldly set of motives. He's going to, and in doing so, it, pu- it, it brings a purity to your life and to your behaviors. Now you're clean. And now all of a sudden we get to this place where there's bearing of some fruit. Now you're clean through the word. Jesus said, this is, this is a word that'll cleanse. 
Bible says in Psalms 119, how shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. The words of Christ, the words of God, that's what bring cleansing. It's his word that cleanses our heart and cleanses our motives and cleanses our values and cleanses our identity. Why? Now we're clean. Now, I want you to see this very carefully. It says this, every branch in me that beareth not fruit... You got to take it up. No, it says he's going to do this. In fact, you're going to notice this all every time in this passage. Everything that's mentioned here are not things you can do. They're going to be things that God has to do for you. It's the husbandman. It's the farmer that does this. You've never been to a vineyard before where you saw a little vine on its own start to levitate off the dirt and start to flap its little leaves until it makes itself to the trellis. I got it. Whenever you see a branch on a trellis, you know that there was a farmer that put it there. And every time that you find a believer whose life is anchored, that has an elevated perspective, an elevated position, mark it down. There's a farmer, there's a God in heaven that made that happen. So lest we get filled with pride and lest we get filled with arrogance, lest we start believing that this is something we can do on our own, the reality is it is not you can't cleanse yourself. It's not, this, is not a, this is not a self-made kind of project. This is, a fa- this is a farmer. This is a husbandman. This is God the Father. He's the one that does it. Why? So now we can bear fruit. We can bear fruit. We see a purifying process. How do we go from no fruit to fruit? It's that purifying process. God's going to help us to transcend the beliefs, the identities, the values, the worldviews, the motives of this world. He's going to raise us up so we can have a transcendent identity, a transcendent set of motives, transcendent set of values that come from a heavenly perspective. We're no longer seeing life and seeing our future and seeing things around us from the same way that the rest of the world does. We've got, a, we've got an elevated perspective. And in the process, it purifies our lives. So we see here, no fruit, fruit. So, so here's the question. If it's a purifying process that God will use to take us from no fruit to fruit, what does God do to get us from fruit to where we're experiencing a inconsistent joy and inconsistent peace and every once in a while when things are going well it's kind of there but we've we've all been here right where where we don't have consistent joy in our lives have you ever been there you don't have consistent peace like you've got peace sometimes like when your spouse is behaving like you've got peace sometimes you know when the bills are getting paid like, you've got peace sometime when everything is going the way you want it to go. You've got peace sometimes. You've got joy, you know, when you get that promotion. You get joy when, you know, you get that bonus. You got it sometimes. But once life starts getting a little tough, that, starts to, that fruit starts to fade. It's inconsistent fruit. It's only there when things are kind of the way you want them to be. It's, it's a minimal amount. It's there, maybe we could say, in the easy times, when you're not losing your job, when you have enough money in the bank, when your health is the way you want it to tell. Can I just say this? It doesn't take a whole, it doesn't take a whole lot for us to, every, you know, to have that 
when things are going well. But how do we get from fruit to more fruit? A more consistent joy, a more consistent sense of peace. Even when things are going difficult and even when life is not easy and even when our spouse doesn't behave the way we want to behave. How do we get from fruit to more fruit? Well, the Bible's pretty basic. Notice what it says here. It says, every branch that beareth fruit, what does it say? He purgeth it. Why? That it, might, that it may bring forth more fruit. Who does this? Do we do this to ourselves? He purgeth. I want you to just see the sovereignty and providence of God in this passage. This is not something you do to yourself. This is something you yield and you surrender and you allow God to do to you. So lest we start getting self-righteous and arrogant and proud as to think, well, I've got more fruit and look what I've done compared to that person who has no fruit. This is not a you doubt. If this has happened in your life, it is because you have surrendered and you have yielded and you have allowed the husbandman, you've allowed God to do this through you. You say, what part of this is your process? This, the part of it that's your process is your willingness to surrender and yield to what he wants to do. Notice what it says here. How do, how do we get from here? He says, I'm going to purge. In agricultural terms, we would say this. He prunes. Uh, how many of you have fruit trees? Raise your hand. Anybody here with fruit trees? Anybody? Okay, well, a couple of us have some fruit trees. I'm told, I don't have one myself, but I am told that oftentimes when you want to get real big, juicy fruit... That sometimes you will cut off branches that are smaller or cut off some smaller branches so all the life-giving sap will go straight to the branches where most of the fruit is. And so by cutting off branches with a lot of leaves but no fruit, it allows all that life-giving sap to go to the branches where the fruit is at, therefore providing for more fruit. And so those farmers will come along and they'll prune. And sometimes when you're done pruning, it doesn't look so pretty. <laughs> How many of you have done that before? You prune it, it's, it's like, man, it doesn't look as pretty as it did before. See, a lot of our lives are the same way. We've got our branches, and they're wide, and they're impressive, and, and look at how beautiful, and all the leaves, and all this, and all that. And, and, and the father comes along, and you know, what he's, he, you know what he's concerned with? Not the showmanship of it all, not the look of it all. He's concerned with the fruitfulness. Is there joy? You, you might be the best dressed person in church today. You might have all kinds of impressive qualities about yourself. But when God looks at you, he wants to know that your life is bearing fruit. That joy is evident in your life and that peace is evident in your life and, and that there's a, there's a confidence and a faith and even in your future that's uncertain that, that the fruit of the Spirit is just being exuded from your life because you can know all the facts. And intellectually, you can know everything about the Bible and know everything about the gospel and you can know all this and all that, but I'm, I'm, I'm more interested in, is there fruit there? Is there joy in what you do when things are hard? Is there peace in what you do when things aren't going your way? I, that's, that's what interests me. And so Jesus comes along and he's saying, I'm the vine. I, I'm the one that you gotta be connected to. And if you're gonna... Go from bearing fruit to more fruit, more consistent fruit, more consistent joy, and more consistent peace, and more consistent love, and more consistent faith, and, and long-suffering in your life. This is not something you make happen. This is something that is going to flow in you and flow through you. How? He's, he says this process right here, what does it take? The purge means to prune. This leads us to our second thought. If we're going to go from bearing fruit to bearing more fruit, 
It often takes a pruning process. A pruning process. Maybe you're here right now, and you've got some amount of joy. When things are going pretty well, you got joy. When things are going your way, you can have peace. But the moment those hard times come, and the moment it gets difficult, and the moment your wife doesn't treat you quite right, or the moment your husband doesn't quite do something that you thought they should do, it's long, as soon as life doesn't go the way you anticipated and you expected, you, you, lose, you lose your joy. It's just inconsistent. It's there. It's a little bit of fruit, but it's just not consistent. God says, I'm going to come along, and here's what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to start to prune. We, we could say it this way, to use some modern vernacular. Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to simplify your life. As Americans, our lives are incredibly complex. They're far too busy, far too overwhelming. Doing this and doing that and doing all of those things. And, and Jesus comes along and he says, I'm going to prune some things. Now, what's interesting about pruning is I, in this passage, when you prune a branch, there's nothing intrinsically wrong or sinful or wicked with a branch. But a farmer cuts it because he wants that life-giving sap to go to the fruit and oftentimes, God is your husbandman. He'll come along, and he'll attempt to cut some good things from your life. Some things that make you look impressive. Some things that make people around you go, wow, look how, look how impressive that, that plant is. And he'll come along, and he'll start pruning your branch. He'll start pruning your life. He'll start simplifying your life. And in some ways, it's going to make you less impressive to those around you. It's going to hurt your pride. It's going to hurt your ego. Because he's going to start cutting away things that is, in all, in all practical ways, they're, they're kind of good things. But in order to get you so your joy and your peace and your love is more consistent, you bear more consistent fruit, he starts cutting things away. Our church has gone through this process. We, we, over the last few years, we've gone through a simplifying process just in the ministry philosophy of our church. Just simplifying, letting, letting God prune, not bad things, just excessive things. Things that kept us from focusing on the main things. Programs, things here, and things, not bad things, just things you go to the book of Acts and they're nowhere to be seen. <laughs> and we've just allowed God to cut those things, to prune those things, to purge those things, to take away those things. Things we like, things that aren't bad. Things that aren't horrible, we could do them, but just not the main things. And can I say this? God often wants to do this in your life as well, if you will let him. There are some things that to you are so important. They, they, they make you feel impressive. They bolster your ego, your identity. They're, they're a, it could be anything from a hobby. It could be anything from a possession that you have. But that possession, that hobby, that thing, it just sucks life. And all of a sudden, before you know it, it just takes all the life-giving sap, all your energy, and it just draws it away from that which is most important, allowing the fruit of the Spirit of joy and peace and, and so the husbandman comes along and he says, I'm going to start pruning some things. And for some of you, it might be hobbies. Man, kids come along. God brings that into your life. And so oftentimes the father will come and he'll start to cut other lesser things away. Not that they're bad. Not that they're horrible. Not that they're sin. He starts cutting them away. Because as Americans, we just have this thing about always having to be doing something. Because it makes us feel important. It makes us feel like we matter. And the moment we stop, 
we start wondering, what's our purpose? Where's our value found? We don't know how to be still and know that he's God. And so oftentimes, the father comes along, and he says, I'm going to start simplifying. I'm going to start pruning. I'm going to start cutting good things from your life, things that you might even enjoy. Things that, you know, but they're just, they're not helping you be more joyful. They're not helping you be more loving. They're not helping you be at greater peace. They're not helping you in your faith. And so he says, I'm just going to start cutting them. I'm going to start pruning. I'm going to start simplifying here in your life. They're just things that crowd out the best things. Can I ask you this question? What might God be trying to prune from your life right now? We're not talking about, we're not talking even about sin or wickedness. We're talking about good things. Nothing bad, nothing horrible. This is, these are perfectly fine things. What is it that God might be trying, what good thing might God be trying to cut and prune from your life to simplify it? To cut away so there's more energy going to that which matters most. I can't answer that question for you. But you see, a wise person will allow, they will yield, and when they sense that God is doing this, They'll let it be. I, I personally, I love to, I, I, growing up, those of you who've known me for a long time, when I was younger, I played a ton of golf. I was in golf tournaments. I took golf lessons. I really enjoyed golfing. And I've gotten to a stage in my own life with kids and, and what they need and just ministry and with my family, as much as I enjoy doing it, there just really is no time left functionally in my life for golf. So a couple years ago, I kind of just met, you know what, for this season of my life, this is getting pruned. My golf clubs are still in there in the garage. I'm not saying I would never go out. I just, by and large, it's just an area God pruned. And it was just a season where the God said, this is just not for you right here, right now. It's not the best. Now, Greg, I'm not preaching against golfing, all right? <laughs> Greg's getting nervous. He loves to golf. Here for Greg, he's in a different season of life. He's in a different stage of life. Maybe, and it could be a lot of different things. We can't judge one another. I'm not going to judge Greg. Wow, Greg, I heard you went golfing last month, you know. Some, no, God prunes us in different ways. How God prunes from my life might not be how God prunes from your life. And so this is not an area where we get self-righteous and start looking at each other and say, well, if God pruned this from my life, why didn't God prune this from their life? Because they're a different person. <laughs> God prunes different people differently. And let that be. But what I am saying is when you sense in your spirit, the Holy Spirit, starting to prune something, he's asking you to yield something, he's asking you to surrender something, allow it to be. You say, but I won't, if I, if I surrender this area, people won't be as impressed with me. They won't think as well as, of me. <laughs> Just remember, it's not about us, it's not about you, it's not about me. It's about the glory of Christ and that fruitfulness flowing our life's a pruning process. Proverbs chapter number 15, verse 16 says this, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. You know, it's not wrong when God simplifies. It's not a bad thing when God prunes. 
You know, I know not everybody. There's a lot of people, a lot of Americans, and it's just all about getting more and doing more and having more. And our kids got to be involved in this and that and those types of things because our kids won't turn out if they're not in 15, you know, sports programs and, and 10 these programs and this and that. And I, there's probably a place for all of those things. But can I just say this? There's also a place for just being still. To know that he is God. And we need, we need to structure and allow Christ to structure our life for margin. You need space. And what you need at your stage of life might be different than what I need at my stage of life. This is not a comparison thing. This is not about looking around the room saying, does everybody do it just like me? It's simply yielding to the Holy Spirit and saying, God, when you start showing me that this is just too, this is crazy. I, I'm so stressed out. I'm so busy running here and so busy running there and so busy doing that and so busy taking care of all these things. I'm not, I have no joy anymore and there's no peace anymore and there's no love in what I do anymore. You're just frazzled and you're just stressed out. It might be that the Father's trying to come along and simplify some things. It's okay to live simply. And I'm not even just talking about material possessions. I'm just talking about schedules and possession. Just... And like I said, what that looks like for all of us might be different. But if we're, if we're maxing out our finances and maxing out our schedule and maxing out our time and maxing out our energy, don't, it won't be long before there's, just, there's not a lot of fruit there. No joy, no peace, no love, no patience. And so the Father will often come along and say, I'm going to start chopping some things and let me do it. It was hard when God started doing this for our church. Because of a lot of things, we, we became less impressive to some people. And as God did it, there were some programs and there were some things. We just started simplifying. We don't need to be busy doing this and busy. I'm not saying these things are wrong. Other churches might do them. Let them do them. But for us, he was calling us to just be, stay focused on the main things. And let everything else kind of go its way. Simplifying in our own hearts. Simplifying in our own lives so we see if we go from no for there's no fruit in your life it takes a purifying process if there's fruit to more fruit oftentimes it's going to take a pruning process god's going to start cutting things away let him do it this is god that does it we don't do this he's going to lay it on your spirit he'll lead you but then notice how do we go from more fruit to much fruit this I, and i'm you see, what is much fruit much fruit is like it it doesn't matter what you're going through in life there's just peace Good times, bad times, peace. When everything's going your way, you're content and you're filled with joy. And when everything's going the exact opposite of everywhere you'd want, there's still that, the joy is all still there. Like it's not, your joy is not anchored to what happens around you. The joy just overflows. It's anchored to something deeper than you. Your joy is anchored to the vine of Jesus Christ. Your peace is anchored to the vine of Jesus Christ. Your love is anchored to the vine of Jesus Christ. Your love is not anchored to how they treat you anymore or how they've forgiven you or what they've done to you. Your love for them is not has anything to do with them. It has everything to do with how you are anchored to Jesus Christ. And it just flows. The joy just flows in good times and in bad. You ever met somebody like this? You're scratching your head. I can't figure this person out. How do they have so much joy? Well, that just must be their personality, their disposition. <laughs> Maybe they just know what it is to, to experience God. Maybe they just have the fruit of the Spirit. You say, how is this person they just love? That person treated them horribly. How is it that they could love them back? 
How do they love like Jesus loves? Jesus was willing to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. How, how do these people forgive people who did that to them? And how do they, how do they offer that long-sufferingness? How does that happen in their life? You say, well, they just got to breathe. No, here's what's happening. They're filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit just flows. Good times, bad they can be just as loving to a kind person as somebody who's spiteful and mean to them. They're no respecter of persons. Why? Because their love for people has nothing to do with the individuals. It has everything to do with the fact that God's love is pouring in them and through them. And so they have peace in good times and bad. They have joy when things are going their way. They have joy when everything's going awful. They have long-suffering, not just to people who are nice to them. They can be long-suffering and loving to those who are awful to them and those who are pain in the necks to them because it's not about them them it's about Jesus flowing through them you see what I'm talking about I'm just talking about much fruit it just flows how do we get there that's a question isn't it because I I think most of us if we're to be honest and I know for myself I kind of waffle between somewhere in here praise God there are times there's joy and there's peace and so I, I think for me but maybe you're here but this Wow, just a life that's overflowing with joy and peace and love and faith for the future. Even when the future looks bleak and even when the future looks dark and even when the future seems uncertain, there's such faith, there's such confidence just knowing that my God has this thing taken care of. How does, how does this happen in our lives? Let's read it. When I was going through this, you know what I thought it was? I thought to myself, you know what? The, the natural assumption is, Okay, if I'm going to go from here to here, there's something more I've got to do. Uh, man, God's going to show us something in this passage, and he's going he's to give us the little secret, right? If we do this, or if we do those things, or if we do these things, then he's going to go from helping us, you know, bear more fruit to much fruit. And so I was, I was looking through this passage. I wanted to find what God wanted me to do. This is going to be good. God's going to give us a little secret of something to do. It's going to be like this little, this little, ah, this key, this step, this hint, of what I can do to have more fruit, because that, that's kind of the way I think sometimes. But then I started looking at it, and notice what he says. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. What? No, Jesus, what is it that you want me to do to have this joy? God, obviously I have to do something to be this uh, peaceful. God, something I've got to do to have this much love. There's something I've got to do to have this much long-suffering. He says, no, you want this long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and peace to flow through your life? It actually doesn't have anything to do with doing more. has to do with abiding more abiding deeper in Christ abiding deeper in his love so his love can flow through you abiding deeper in his peace so his peace flows through you abiding more in his grace so his grace flows through you there isn't any I can't give you something to do here I can only say abide now, it, go back to our metaphor, because some of you are confused by this, and you're like, that doesn't even make any sense. <laughs> but think about it from an, an agricultural perspective, okay? Imagine for a moment we have our vine. You know what a vine looks like that comes from the earth? 
And then off of the vine, there's usually a branch, is there not? The Bible says you're the branch. In Christ, we're the branch. He is the vine. Now think about this. And I've said this before. Some of you have been around. I, I, I've, 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 I've talked about this. The bigger your connection to the, the bigger your connection to the vine is, if you have a little connection, your branch has a little connection to the vine, only a little sap can flow through. Not just from an agricultural perspective. Let's just be logical about this. If, you just have a, if your branch just has a little connection to the vine, then just a little bit of sap can get through. That energy, that life-giving source of energy, that, that sap that feeds the fruit. But as that, as that attachment to the vine gets bigger and wider... Some of you have seen these big, old vines and the branches that are attached to the vine. There's these massive connections that they have and all this life-giving sap can just flow in and flow through. The more that that branch is connected to the vine, the more that life-giving sap, that spiritual energy can flow through, which in turn produces more fruit. It's not about a branch doing more. It's not about a branch accomplishing more. It's not about a branch trying harder it's about a branch that says day in and day out in good times and in bad times I will stay connected to the vine I'm going to abide with Christ I'm going to dwell with Christ I'm going to commune with Christ I'm going to saturate my heart and my mind in Christ I'm going to rest in Christ every day I'm going to experience his love afresh and anew and every day I'm going to experience his peace peace afresh and anew and I'm not going to get tired of Jesus and I'm not going to get like this is old hat like I got to get beyond the gospel and I got to be, get beyond what Jesus has done for me and I've got to move beyond what God did on my behalf no we don't get beyond the gospel we don't get further we go deeper and deeper and deeper into it as that life sap just flows more and more as we abide in Christ his fruit just happens as we yield to him. This is about communing with Christ. You say, ah, pastor, I've already learned to read my Bible. Get to something more important. I'm not just talking about just reading your Bible. I'm talking about communing with Christ until you have fruit. Because some of you are like, oh, I know how to read my Bible. I, okay, you know how to read your Bible, but is your life bearing fruit? Is it consistent? Is there always joy? and peace, and love, and if there is not always joy, and if there is not always peace, and if there is not always love, and if there is not always faith, and if there is not always long-suffering, you don't need less of this. You need more of this communing. You need more of this abiding. You need more of this dwelling. You need more of this experience in Jesus. No, pastor, give me something to do. I'll give you something to do, but it'll give you false hope. Because that's your hope. I'll make up stuff for you to do. I'll give you 10 tips to do this and seven tricks to do that. I'll give you that, but it'll just give you a false sense of hope. Because the secret to fruitfulness is in abiding. And this is why at Ambassador Baptist Church, you will always hear messages about this. 
The Apostle Paul regularly talks about remind them, put them in remembrance of these things. This is why every time the Apostle Paul preaches, he is always mentioning this is what God has done for you. This is what Christ has done in you. This is what the Spirit promises to do through you. He validates and affirms and reminds them of all that God has done. Why? Because that motivates me and that inspires me to want to commune with Jesus, the vine. And that's all I'm trying to do each week. You say, what's your purpose to preaching? Every Sunday you come to this church, I'm going to make you want to get with Jesus more. That's it. I want to make you love Jesus more. I want you to hate sin and love Jesus and hate your own motives and values and pride because you want Jesus' love and you want to experience his values and experience his motives so that you just every week afresh and anew fall in love with Jesus. And as we move through this, we'll talk about how to abide with Christ in our speech. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about our words. And we'll talk about how communion with Christ will change your speech. And there will be times as we move through these pages that we'll talk about your morality and how falling in love with Jesus will improve your morality. And we'll talk about how as we fall in love with Jesus, it'll cause us to forsake sin. We'll get through all of that, but at its heart... The way you overcome these things is in Jesus. Is in abiding with him in a deeper way. I, I love in Mark chapter number three. We're told why Jesus ordained his disciples. It says, and he ordained 12. Why? What, Mark, why, why did he do this? That they should be with him. If you study the lives of the disciples while they walked with Jesus, it's not too impressive. You see, why did he ordain the disciples? Why did he, why did he call them out? Why, so they could do this, so they could do that? No, when he called them, he said, I want you to call, I'm going to call you why so you can be with me. That they should be with him. Can I say this? It's not mainly about doing more for God. Some of you, your mind is structured in such a way you can only think about your relationship with God in context to what you are doing for Him. That's the only way you know how to associate with God is through your doing. And He ordains us that we would be with Him. It's not mainly about doing more for God. It's mainly about being more with God. You see, you show me a person who is being with God, they're abiding with him, they're connected to the vine, I'll show you somebody whose life is producing fruit. But you don't focus on the fruit. See, some of us, you're running around and you are so focused on this basket. The, the goal is not to be focused on the fruit. The goal is to be focused on Jesus. And this just happens. The moment you notice it, you're probably becoming self-righteous and arrogant. The moment you can, ooh, look how impressive my life is, and look at what I'm doing, you, you probably have just, to some degree, you've stopped abiding, and the self-righteousness starts to be, the focus is Jesus. The focus is him. Keep your focus on Jesus and let the fruit be what it is.
Abide in him. I heard a preacher several years ago say this, and it just resonated with me. No amount of activity in the king's service will make up for the neglect of the king himself. No amount of activity in the king's service will make up for the neglect of the king himself. We could go to the Mary Martha story. You remember this story? Martha's cumbered about with much work. Oh, I gotta serve Jesus. I gotta do this and I gotta do that because it makes me feel so important. It makes me feel valued. It makes me feel like I mattered. And Jesus comes along and says, that, hey, Mary's actually doing something more important. Remember this? I mean, this is Jesus saying this. She's doing the better thing. What? Mary, what's she doing? We look through the kitchen window. What's... Jesus, she's just sitting there. She ain't doing nothing. How is that a better thing? Because she's abiding. Now, I'm not talking about apathy, and I'm not talking about being apathetic. I'm not talking about being passive. Do not take this for something I'm not saying. I'm not saying just being passive. I'm saying abide. I'm saying experience the presence of Jesus in everything around you. Let his glory shine through every aspect of your life. May not a moment of your life go by where you are not dazzled with the glories of God. Abide in his enduring presence. See the majesty. See the glory of Christ in everything. How do we get from no fruit to fruit? It's going to take a, it's a, usually a purifying process. He's going to arrow. He's going to take us up. He's going to get us from having an earthly perspective to a, a heavenly perspective. Our values, our motives are all going to change. He's going to cleanse them. He's going to make them different. All of a sudden, we're going to start bearing some fruit. It won't be maybe super consistent, but bearing some fruit. So what does he do? He's going to start chopping things away. What is it that God wants to chop away? What is it right now that he's trying to cut that you need to surrender to? Because it's sucking so much of the life-giving spiritual energy that he wants to see go toward fruitfulness, but it's, it's keeping it back. And then, so it takes this, this pruning process, and then here, from moving here, from more fruit to much fruit. I'll just say it this way to stick with the bees, a partnering process. To abide. This is our takeaway, and we're done. Experiencing deeper genuine fruitfulness you say i want my life to produce something i'm telling you this is the way to do it your li- if you if we do what we're talking about right now and you abide and you bask and you see the glory of christ and everything around you and you dwell deeply with christ when you're at your workplace you're abiding with him and when you're driving your car you're just experiencing the glories and the majesty of all god is in creation and there's not a moment that goes by where you're not abiding and you're not basking and sometimes this will express itself in prayer and other times this will express itself in Bible reading and other times this will express itself in just being still and knowing that he is God and sometimes it'll be the very creation that declares the glory of God and just seeing literally nature around you will proclaim the epic nature of his glory but there's not a moment that goes by where you're not connected in abiding with him. This will happen. Don't get all in a tizzy of, oh, how are we going to take care of doing this and being that? This will take care of itself if you abide. Because Jesus is really good at being Jesus. And how many of you have heard you become like that which you spend time with? 
Christ will live his life through you as you abide with him. Experiencing deeper, genuine fruitfulness happens as we more deeply experience God. Get that, let that sink in. Experiencing deeper, genuine fruitfulness in the good times and the bad. When people are treating us right and when they're not treating us right, there's still love and joy and peace. Experiencing deeper, genuine fruitfulness happens as we more deeply experience God every moment of every minute of every hour of every day, whether we're at work, whether we're with our children, whether it is we're doing a hobby, that the glory of God just radiates all around us and we behold his wondrous glory. So I ask you, how are we doing at experiencing God more deeply? How are we doing at it? You say, I don't know how I'm doing. So reverse engineer this thing. How's your fruit? Your fruit will reveal how you're doing. If the fruit's like it's not there when things are going bad and the health issues arise and your spouse doesn't treat you just right, can I just say this? You might have convinced yourself you know a lot about the Bible, but I'm just telling you, you're not getting it yet, okay? I'm just, I'm being blunt. Your fruit reveals what's actually happening. And when there is no peace and when there is no joy and when there is no love and when there is no faith, when things get hard and difficult and people don't treat you right, I'm just gonna say it's not happening for you. But but pastor, I can quote all these verses and I can show you in the Bible what this is and what that is. I don't care. Where's your fruit? Because once you have fruit, guess what? That's great. Let's let's look at those verses together. I met a lot, a lot of people who know all about the Bible who have no fruit. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's no love. And when it is there, it's only there when things are going right for them. But the moment life doesn't go their way, they just, there's, there's fruit that's little. Your brain is a master deceiver and will try to convince you that everything's fine, but the fruit of the Spirit reveals what's actually happening. And when times get hard, that is the best indicator to see how things are really going. When your life is falling apart and you feel like you're losing your job and your marriage is not where you want it to be and everything just is falling apart, what happens in that moment is a grand indicator of where you actually are in your spiritual life. Be not deceived. (laughs) Why? Because the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How's your fruit? And if it's struggling, I'm going to just say this. Let God help you transcend the world and and let him prune those things and simplify what he needs to simplify and then just abide. Just abide. And let him do through you what you could never do in your own. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.